uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you might want to open to Psalm 38, which is uh, what we're going to actually look at. There is an outline as well in your order of services. You might want to pull that out, uh, which will actually help you follow along. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we do thank you as we come uh, this New Year's Eve uh, to the final Sunday worship service of the year. We do pray and ask that you might speak not just our minds to our hearts, that you might bring us under the conviction of your word, uh, so that we might not just reflect well on the year gone past, but we might also know the hope and the assurance of anticipating a new year under your sovereign rule, under your goodness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we come to the last Sunday of the year, I, I do want to spend some time looking at Psalm 38, which was actually read for us. And at first glance, as you've heard uh, Tracy read it, it seems incredibly depressing uh, because it is a very depressing psalm. Chong actually said that uh, this morning uh, as he came, he said, you've picked a really depressing psalm to end the year. Uh, what a way to end the year. Rather than reflect on the possibilities and the opportunities a new year brings, we instead reflect on the despair that suffering and pain brings. Now, there's a reason why I want to do that. I want to suggest to you that we can only celebrate the possibility of a better future, the, best, the possibility of a better tomorrow. We can only anticipate a joy-filled future, a fresh start, only if we know what to do with the despair caused by pain and suffering. That's the only way to anticipate a better future. Now, Psalm 38, you've heard read, is the prayer of someone in great pain and suffering. Someone who's actually despairing and who is incredibly worn out. I don't know, maybe that's been your year. You feel worn out as you come to the end of the year. Uh, and, and it's the prayer of someone who's not just despairing, uh, but also physically and emotionally worn down. Both. Uh, it appears that David wrote this psalm. Uh, he's suffering some physical affliction, uh, some sickness, a crushing health issue, and it's caused him to pause and to think very carefully about not just his physical state, but his spiritual state within as well. And, and one of the things about the psalm is he begins to realize that his body isn't just broken, but his heart is also spiritually broken. Uh, he's worn down. Uh, there's so much suffering in this psalm. Uh, the burden of guilt for some sin in life, uh, foolishness that's led to uh, very painful circumstances in his life, uh, a physical affliction that's made him repulsive in the eyes of the people around him. Uh, friends have abandoned him. Uh, and it's given his enemies a chance to scheme and to plot his ruin, his downfall. Uh, and so it doesn't get any worse. Physical affliction, feeling spiritually condemned, alone and abandoned by your friends, and people scheming against you. Uh, like I said, we can only celebrate the possibility of a better tomorrow, a joy-filled future, only if we know what to do with the despair caused by pain and suffering in life. Now, this psalm will help us do that as we look at uh, David's prayer. Now, there are three parts in this psalm. Have a look with me in your outline. You'll see those three parts there, which is really David's prayer. Uh, he's humble by his suffering. Uh, he pours out his heart to God, and he waits for God to help him. So three things in this psalm, humble by suffering, pours out his heart to God, he waits for God to actually help him, okay? So, uh, have a look with me at verse 1 to verse 8. That's the first part uh, of the psalm, David's prayer. 
this is David's perspective on physical affliction, okay? So this is David's perspective on physical suffering and sickness. And what I'm hoping you see is that the external state of his life is a catalyst that drives him to look at the internal state of his heart, okay? So physical affliction in his life, external physical affliction is a catalyst that causes him to, to look at his spiritual affliction, what afflicts him spiritually. And he's crushed, you see, and he's overwhelmed by a burden, this, this burden that torments him, not just externally, physically, but also internally in his heart, which David sees as the hand of God humbling him, bringing him low, okay? So look at verse 1 and verse 2 with me. David recognizes God's hand is at work in his suffering, his physical affliction. Uh, you read, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me. Your hand has come down on me. Now, it's actually a cry seeking God's mercy because he recognizes that it's God's hand that has brought suffering into his life. Uh, it's very similar to Psalm 6 verse 1. Uh, Psalm 6 verse 1, David echoes the same prayer. There uh, he cries out, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not discipline me in his wrath. And then he says, verse 2 of chapter 6, have mercy on me because I'm faint. Heal me because my bones are in agony. Okay, so he, he's seeking God's mercy because he recognizes the physical affliction or pain and suffering in his life has come from God's own hand. Now, pause with me. Notice that David actually says that his physical affliction, his, his sickness, whatever that may be, his struggling health has come from God. He says that in verse 3 and verse 5. Can you see there in your Bibles? Because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My wounds are festering and loathsome, repulsive because of my sinful folly. Now, there are two things there you notice in verse 3 and verse 5. He says, firstly, my physical affliction has come from the hands of God. But then he also says, it's come because of my personal foolishness in life, right? Because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. Uh, my wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. And so, you notice two things, right? God stands behind his ill health, his physical affliction, but then he also says, my suffering is also because of personal foolishness in my life. Now, uh, in your outlines, I do want to clarify three things. And so there's three things there that we need to understand about suffering and sin. Okay, so three things about suffering and sin very quickly. And so firstly, you'll notice sometimes there is a very direct correlation between our sin and our suffering. Some sickness, some affliction, some bad circumstance that God brings into our lives because of His judgment, because of His punishment. And so in John chapter 5, verse 14, we read of the lame man in John chapter 5, verse 14. We're not looking at it now. Jesus heals a lame man, and He sends the lame man away. He says, now that you are well, now that you are healed, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And so sometimes, physical affliction comes into our lives as part of God's judgment because of our sin. Um, it, it happens a lot in the Old Testament. You read in the Old Testament God's words to the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 6, verse 13 to verse 16. 
There, the prophet Micah says, uh, on behalf of God, Therefore, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you, because of your sins. And so he sends plague. He takes away a good harvest. He gives them over to ruin, to destruction. He will not bless the work of their hands. And so God brings physical affliction to their bodies because of their sin. Now, when you turn to the page of the New Testament, you also discover that James, the Apostle James, he links sickness with the possibility of sin in a person's life. Not always, but it's possible, he says. And so you read James chapter 5. James says, if anyone is sick, call the elders of the church to come and pray for them for their healing. Pray for healing, he says. But if you read what James goes on to say in James chapter 5, verse 15 and verse 16, James goes on to say, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And then it says, If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Did you hear that? If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so, sometimes there is a direct correlation between our sin and sickness or affliction or suffering in our lives that God brings into our lives because of His discipline, His judgment, His punishment. We don't often realize that. But there's a second thing. Sometimes it's just the consequences of our personal foolishness that leads to suffering and sickness or physical affliction. We suffer because we make bad choices in life. We make sinful choices, we reap the consequences. We do stupid things and we reap the consequences. We stuff things up ourselves and we reap the consequences. And so you have liver problems because you drink excessively. You have a broken marriage because you love your work and career more than your marriage. You go over 20 kilometers this weekend and you lose eight demerit points and it's a $1,000 fine. Sometimes we suffer simply because of our own failure to do what is right. We make foolish choices. But there's a third thing. It's there in your outlines as well. Sometimes our suffering, sickness, or physical affliction is simply because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world and our bodies are simply broken. We suffer through no fault of our own. Christian or not, it's hard to avoid the fact that we live in a broken world and our lives are subject to brokenness often not of our own choosing. Uh, in fact, Jesus was asked this very question of his disciples in John chapter 9. Uh, they saw a man born blind from birth. And they turned to Jesus and they said to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, right? Maybe karma's at work. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. And so sometimes our suffering is simply because we live in a broken world. And we can't avoid the effects of living in a broken world. We age, we get hurt, people hurt us inadvertently. Accidents happen. So there are three things about sin and suffering there that it's important for us to keep in mind. Sometimes there's a correlation between our suffering and our sin. It could be God's punishment in our lives. Sometimes it's our own foolishness. But sometimes there's no correlation because we live in a broken world. And our bodies are broken. We're wearing down. But that doesn't seem to be the case as you read this psalm. Uh, it's not always the case as you see in David's life. Because here you read, God is doing something 
in David's life. He's brought some physical affliction into David's life, some sickness because of some sin, some foolishness on David's part. Now, that could be part of God actively bringing it into his life or something that has occurred because of his foolishness. Either way, David recognizes that he is suffering because of his sin, and God has brought that about, directly or indirectly. Now, the purpose, though, was to humble him. The purpose was to humble him. Because until you are humble, you will not seek God. Right? Until you feel despair, you will not seek God. Until you are brought low, you will not look up. Uh, the guilt uh, that a strong and successful man or woman might have, just ignore or might just shrug off, uh, comes to light when they are knocked down. When things are well, when you're a success, when life is good, when you think you're invincible because you're untouchable in life, you never think of your sin. Has that ever occurred to you? When things are going well, we rarely think of our sin in life. One author puts it like this, the sins which might seem a mere trickle in our lives are revealed now as a flood to drown in. See? It's often when bad things happen, we pause and we think really about our sins in life. Uh, Psalm 119 puts it like this, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Before I experienced suffering, I lived my way. Before I experienced physical affliction, I ignored you. Affliction opens our eyes to our sin and the road we're on so that we make correction in life. I'll have a look at verse 6 to verse 8. Physical suffering actually humbled David, not just physically, but spiritually. Each day, his physical affliction and suffering humbled him. Verse 6, I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long, I go about mourning. He says, I'm grieving, not just over my physical suffering, but over the state of my spiritual life, my sinful folly, my bad choices. Verse 3, there's no soundness in my bones, in my body. Because of my sin. Verse 5, my wounds are not healing because of my sinful folly. Uh, look at verse 7 and verse 8, how his physical affliction and suffering humbled him. My back, he says, is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish in my heart. In other words, there are no words, only groaning because his heart is in anguish. And so, this New Year's Eve is worth pausing, isn't it? It's worth pausing because we need to realize that sometimes, not always, sometimes affliction is God's discipline in our lives. Suffering might make us think that God is not good, but it's really God's love and mercy at work. Uh, the writer in Hebrews 12 actually reminds us that discipline is a sign that you are a son and a daughter in God's family a sign that the heaven, your heavenly Father cares for you because He's putting the brakes on in your life, getting you to think about the path that you're on, forcing you to look at where you've put your security and hopes in life, showing you the idols that you are pursuing perhaps that cannot save you. He's showing you your folly. He's showing you the consequences of your sin. He's letting you experience the effects of your sin so that you wake up. 
And maybe, just maybe, God is doing that in the year gone past, which is why we're tired and we're exhausted. That's why C.S. Lewis writes that pain is God's call, His megaphone in our lives, right? Because pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse us in our lives. And so, maybe, just maybe, instead of raging against suffering in our lives and getting angry about the painful circumstances in our lives or being resentful that affliction has not left us this year, maybe, maybe, they're, just, maybe they're opportunities that God has brought about so that we might actually pause as we come to the end of the year, pause to reflect on what God might be wanting to say to us. Maybe God is wanting us to pause to reflect on what He might be wanting to show us. Could it be God is humbling you? Could it be that God has allowed a season of pain and suffering as you look at the year gone past? Maybe God is slowing you down to see what you have been neglecting in life, to show you how fragile you are and how you're not invincible, how not in control you are and how you need Him. Or how maybe the things that you have put such a high premium on in your life cannot save you. And so maybe, just maybe, God is doing and has done what He's done to humble you, to show you the true spiritual state of your heart, to show you the sin that you've been ignoring in your life. And so I want to suggest to you, as we come to the end of the year, you know, I know it's New Year's Eve, lots of stuff happening this evening, lots of things you will attend, but in the midst of, and the busyness of New Year's Eve, don't ignore your afflictions. Don't waste your suffering. The best way you can prepare for the new year is to ponder and reflect and dwell on the pain you've gone through the last 12 months, the losses you've experienced the last 12 months, the sickness that has been your constant companion the last 12 months. And maybe, just maybe, God is trying to humble you to show you the true spiritual state of your heart, to show you the idols in your life, to show you the sin you've been ignoring, the things you've been neglecting that you probably shouldn't have. Don't ignore your afflictions. Don't waste your suffering. But there's a second thing in David's prayer. Have a look at verse 9 to verse 14, because he begins to pour out his heart to God. That's the next section, right? Verse 9 to verse 14. And this is the prayer of the humble heart. He lays his painful situation before God. This is how low he feels. He places before God the devastating circumstances in his life. Notice he doesn't rage at God. He doesn't accuse God of being unfair. He isn't bitter. He doesn't blame others for his suffering. He pours out his heart. He simply expresses his pain. And before God, he hides nothing. Notice what he says, My heart is frail and frightened, O Lord. Right? Verse 9 and verse 10. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing, that is my groaning, is not hidden from you. My heart pounds, my strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. Can you feel David's frail and frightened heart? The loneliness he feels crushed by his physical suffering, his painful circumstances. It is a longing that has no relief groaning and sighing because of a burden that has not been lifted. 
A heart is throbbing because he's hurting. And the reason why the light has gone from his eyes, because sadness and tears have overwhelmed him. Even more than that, his friends have left him because they are repulsed by his physical affliction. The stench of his wounds, festering and loathsome. Verse 5, now verse 11, my friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far from me. His friends treat him like a leper. His friends have abandoned him. He finds himself alone. The more support I need, the less support I attract, the less support I find. David finds himself alone. Even my friends, he says, have abandoned me. But then he also finds himself attacked by his enemies. They are preparing to kick him at his lowest. Uh, He's down physically and spiritually. And then verse 12, those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and they lie. They plot against him. They scheme to do him harm. They spread lies to ruin his reputation. Now, there's three things there that he brings before God. He's feeling frail and frightened, crushed by his physical suffering and affliction. He finds himself alone, abandoned by friends, and his enemies are now scheming against him, and he has no more words. And so notice verse 13 and verse 14, and this is really as low as you can go in life. I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Now, I want to say to you, David does not think to himself, the God who has brought me low now expects me to fix up my life, right? To get my life together before coming back, to go deal with my sin before I come to him, to toughen up and be more resilient. And God does not expect that as well. God doesn't say, now that I've humbled you, what you need to do, David, is get your act together, soldier on, right? No. When God realizes that God, when when David realizes that God is disciplining him and humbling him, David doesn't run from God, he runs to God, right? David doesn't try to fix himself, instead he turns to God, because he knows only God can fix him. He doesn't abandon his faith, He doesn't look for solutions elsewhere. No, he comes. He looks upward. He turns his face to the Father. He comes in humility and he pours out his heart to God. Now, it's worth pausing here for a moment as well, isn't it? Just pause with me. Often when I find myself in physical pain, when I find myself paralyzed and weak because of some suffering in life, when life has dealt me a lemon, when I find myself most needy, when I find that there's no one around who's supporting me, when I find my sin and foolishness has brought me into a painful situation, maybe, just maybe, God is doing that to humble me, to show me my true spiritual state, the idols I've ignored, perhaps. And He's not doing it to drive me away from Him. You know, God doesn't guilt me to crush me, to bring me low and leave me low. He does that to draw me to Himself, right? to come and share my frail and frightened heart with him, to share my loneliness with him, because that's what David does, to share my fears with him, not just my sin, but my loneliness, not just my sin, but my physical affliction, not just my sin, but my frail and worn-out heart, to say with David, verse 9, to sit and be silent before him, All my longings lie open before you. My sighing or groaning is not hidden from you. David has no words. 
he can only groan before his father. Verse 13 and verse 14, to say I have no more words, only the groaning of my suffering and fears. David doesn't run. He doesn't hide from God. He doesn't try to fix his life. Right? He runs to the God who has disciplined him. And maybe, just maybe, God is wanting you to do that. Try to fix yourself, to stop running from Him, and run to Him instead as you start the new year. But the Psalm of David doesn't end there, does it? Because there's a third part. David waits for God to help him. Look at verse 15 and verse 22 with me. David goes on and he says, I'll wait for the Lord to help. If the Lord has brought physical affliction to his life, if sin has led him to a place of suffering, if the Lord has humbled and disciplined him, surely the Lord can be trusted to save him. Surely the Lord can answer his groaning. Surely the, surely the Lord will answer his affliction. Surely the Lord will comfort him in his tears. So notice what he says, verse 15. Lord, I will wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. And at the end, verse 21 and verse 22, he entrusts himself to the same God who has humbled him. Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior, my King and my Rescuer. Now, in between verse 15 and verse 22, he prays two things. As he entrusts himself to God, as he waits for the Lord's help, notice two things. He prays that the Lord would protect him from his enemies. Verse 16, for I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my feet slip. Verse 19 and verse 20, many have become my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil lodge accusations against me, though I seek only to do what is good. So he seeks the Lord's help, protection from his enemies. But notice he does a second thing. He confesses his sin. Can you see it there? Between verse 15 and verse 20, he confesses his sin. I confess my iniquity, verse 18. I am troubled by my sin. Now, why does he do that? I think David does that because he knows his greatest problem is not his physical suffering. I think we're like that. You know, when we look at our difficult circumstances in life, we think they are the biggest problems in our lives. But David says, that is not the biggest problem in my life. Yes, I'm going to pray that God will deliver me and protect me from my enemies. But notice what does he do, verse 18? He confesses his sin. God has shown him his greater need to deal with his sin, his folly, his pride, his idolatry, perhaps, his hidden sin. Can you see there, verse 18? Physical suffering in his life has pushed him to look deeper. And he recognizes that there is sin in his life that has brought him suffering. That may or may not have been, now that may or may not be the case for you or I, for you and me, but it's a reminder to us that we should always pause to reflect, to ponder, to dwell on suffering in our lives, to reflect on the losses we've experienced, the sickness that seems to be our constant companion, the suffering others have caused us. Maybe, maybe God is trying to humble you to show you your true spiritual state. The more important need in your life and my life to show us the idols in our lives, to show us the sin that we have ignored, the things we've been neglecting. You see, sometimes we do think that the biggest issue in our life is our difficult circumstances, our suffering, our struggling with ill health, our sickness. But maybe those things there to humble us so that we see the greater problem in our life, the greater need in our lives. 
suffering that comes through our sin and foolishness or suffering that comes through living in a broken world is there to drive us to see our need for a Savior because of our sin in life. You see, the last thing we ever think about when we are going through deep pain and suffering or sickness is our sin. And I would venture to say it's the last thing we do when we experience pain and suffering in life the last thing we tend to do is to confess our sin. The last thing we tend to reflect on when we find ourselves physically afflicted is our sin. And so maybe God humbles us. Maybe He enacts discipline in our lives so that we repent, so that we pay attention to our hearts, to our walk with Him, to our godliness, because God wants to save us from our greater need in life. David recognized that, and he does three things here. Notice, he entrusts himself to God, he waits for the Lord's help, he prays for deliverance from his enemies, and he confesses his sin. So maybe you want to pause and reflect with me on how you've prayed this year. Uh, One of the beauty of Psalm 38 is it does cause us to pause to reflect on how we pray when we find ourselves afflicted. We often pray for help, no? We, we pray for deliverance. We pray for the circumstances to change in our lives. But we rarely pray that God would save us from our sin. We rarely come in confession. We, ra- we are rarely troubled by the trickle of sin in our life that we neglect. And maybe the suffering you've experienced, the physical affliction you've experienced, the losses this year, the pain... Maybe the Lord has brought them into your life. He's allowed it to happen simply to humble you, to wake you up to your sin, your foolishness, your pride, your idols, your self-sufficiency. And often it's only when we find ourselves afflicted that we pause and we begin to wonder. Some of you have asked that question because you've asked it before of me. Is God doing this to me because of something in my life? Is God withholding His blessing because of something in my life? Has my foolishness led me to this? Has my idolatry put me in this position? Is there sin I need to deal with? And so maybe, just maybe, when we find ourselves in a season of pain and suffering, maybe God is humbling us so that we might see our need for a Savior to deal with the bigger issue in our lives, our sin. Now, the beauty of this psalm, okay? So the psalm is not all bad news, like Chong It's not all bad news. He was a bit worried they were going to end the new year on a depressing note. No, we're not, Chong. The beauty of this psalm is that when you turn to the pages of the New Testament, you discover God actually answered David's groaning. And He's answered our groaning. He's answered David's loneliness, not just David's wounds, but David's fears, not just David's rejection, not just David's uh, enemies, not just David's waiting, not just David's sin, He's also answered our groaning, our loneliness, our wounds, our fears, our waiting, our enemies, and our sin. I mean, this is the reason why we celebrate at Christmas each year. Uh, Christmas is actually the start of the Christian calendar, really, because the wait is over, isn't it? Because God's help has finally come in the Lord Jesus. Um, You know, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah was also waiting for a day when God's help would come in a Savior And he says, a savior who would be despised and rejected. 
a Savior who would be a man of suffering, a Savior who would be crushed and physically afflicted, a Savior who would be rejected in our place. That's what the prophet Isaiah was waiting for. Uh, that's what you read in Isaiah 53, verse 2 to verse 6. This is how the prophet Isaiah describes Jesus and His coming. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him, nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by humanity, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, He was despised and we held Him in low esteem. That's what David felt. Maybe that's how you feel. And then we read verse 4 of Isaiah 53. Surely He took up our pain. Surely He bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's why at at Christmas, we celebrate the end of the waiting Last Sunday, last Monday, right? The wait is over. The coming of the Savior is here. His name is Jesus, the one who comes to save us from our sins. The wait is over. Your suffering, your groaning, your loneliness, your wounds, your fears, your waiting, your sin has been answered in the Lord Jesus. Look look with me very quickly at Psalm 38, right? Notice verse 1. David says, Do not rebuke me in your anger. Well, the rebuke that should have been mine fell on Jesus at the cross. Verse 1, David says, Do not discipline me in your wrath. Well, the discipline, the rod of judgment that should have been mine fell on Jesus at the cross. Verse 2, David says, Your arrows have pierced me. Well, the arrows that should have pierced me has pierced him at the cross. Verse 2, David says, You have crushed me. Well, the hand that should have crushed me has crushed him at the cross. Verse 4, David says, I'm overwhelmed by my guilt. Well, the guilt that should have overwhelmed me has overwhelmed him at the cross. Verse 4, David says, My burden is too heavy to bear. Well, the burden that I could never bear was placed on him at the cross. Verse 5 to verse 8, David says, My body is wounded because of my sin. Well, the wounds that should be mine became his wounds at the cross. David says, verse 21, Don't forsake me because of my sin. Well, where I should have been forsaken, he was forsaken. You see, the wait is over because help has come in Jesus the Lord and Savior. That's the good news. There at the cross, God has answered David and us as well. See, the good news of the Bible is that God has answered not just our physical suffering, but something much deeper, our eternal suffering. And sometimes we forget in the midst of our physical suffering and affliction that God is wanting to save us from something deeper and far more serious, something far worse than physical affliction and rejection and loneliness, and that is our sin. And if He saved us from the greater, surely we can trust Him with everything else that's going on in our lives. Let me actually end by way of some reflection questions as we look back at the year gone past, as we prepare for the new year. It's there in your outline. There are three questions to think about. Here's the first one. Maybe this last year, your life has been filled with grief and pain, and you are looking forward to the new year. Can I say, don't ignore your past year of grief and pain. Could it be that God is wanting to humble you in your suffering? Maybe there's something in your life right now that just hasn't gone away, and it's just causing you deep anguish, difficult situation, 
ongoing sickness, some pain you're carrying. Maybe God is just wanting to humble you in your situation. Don't run from it. Don't try to soldier on. Don't hide it. Don't ignore it. Don't waste what's happening. God has just done that maybe just to slow you down, to show you what you've been neglecting, to show you how fragile you are, how not in control you are, to humble you, to show you the idols you may not be aware of, the sin you need to be aware of. Maybe God is doing that to humble you, just to show you the true state of your heart. And so maybe as you start the new year, what you need to recognize is that what you need to be saved from is your sin. And the best way to prepare for the new year is to confess your sin. That's the best way to prepare for the new year. The coming of the Savior is an encouragement for us to confess our sin, to come. Here's the second thing to reflect on. If God is wanting to humble you in your circumstances, could it be that God is wanting you to run to Him in your suffering? Maybe the Father's hand has put the brakes in your life because He wants you to come home. He wants you to seek Him. He wants you to run to Him. And it's worth asking, isn't it, is that your first response to pain in your life? Is that your first response to everything that's gone wrong in your life this year? Is that your response to grief or suffering that you're going through right now? And see, Stop running from your fear and pain. Stop trying to confront your fear and pain in your own strength. Like David, learn to pour out your frail and frightened heart, your loneliness and your fears, because your heavenly Father wants you to do that. Not run from Him, but run to Him. I think that would be a great way to start the new year. Here's the third thing to reflect on. Where have you been looking to find relief and help in your pain, your suffering, your affliction in the year gone past? You know, you you look back at the year, and maybe as you look back at the year, maybe just maybe your greatest need is not to be saved from your physical affliction. Maybe your greatest need is for the Lord to save you from what's happened in this last year, your sin and your foolishness in life that you've ignored. Could it be that you're suffering this year has been pointing to your greater need, the Lord's help in saving you from your sin. And so, you know, pray to the Lord for help, but don't forget to deal with your greatest need. And so it's worth asking, isn't it? You know, this is the reason why week after week in our Sunday service, we do a confession of sin. It's meant to teach us that the Christian life is a life of confession, But it's not just a life of confession because God calls us to confess, not because He wants to crush us. It's because He's good and He wants to give us assurance. And that's why week after week in our Sunday worship, we confess our sins and then we hear God's word of assurance. That pattern is meant to be the everyday pattern in our lives. Is confession of sin your response to pain in life? Is confession your response to your losses in life? Is confession of sin your response to adversity in life? Is confession the response to suffering you're experiencing right now? Like David, learn to bring your needs to God, right? So don't get me wrong. David says, you know, the, the psalm teaches us to bring our needs to God, to pray for deliverance from our enemies, to pray for healing from our wounds. 
But the psalm also teaches us to confess our sins and be encouraged because God has answered that need in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate in a moment is a reminder to us that the wait is over. God has answered in the person of the Lord Jesus. In a moment, we're going to spend some time in confession. Uh, Chong, one of our elders, is going to lead us in this prayer of confession. And so I'm going to invite him up, and he's going to do that right now. Uh, As we bring the year to a close, as we start a new year, what a great place to start. We start by confessing our sins.